Hey, it's good to be here. My name is Sean. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am super glad that it's 2014. I really am. I love the beginning of the new year. Part of the reason is, is because last week, my wife and I celebrated 20 years of marriage. Really, really cool. Yeah. And you know, uh, we went out to lunch, and we were having this conversation, and we thought, hey, let's just keep going. You know, 21 years, that's not too far away. Let's keep on doing this thing. It's working out pretty well. And uh, I, really, I really do enjoy the fresh start of a new year. And it's really good because 2013 was kind of rough. It, it, it was kind of rough. Well, if, if I'm honest, I just, I sort of had a rough season, a rough, like, last season. Well, if, okay, if I'm telling the truth here, I had a really, really hard fantasy football season. If I'm just being honest with you, do you guys know this game, fantasy football? All right, it's this crazy game that 24.3 million Americans and Canadians play and uh, makes billions of dollars and all of that. But it's just a silly game. But I had a horrible season. And in fact, it was so bad. I drafted these players. Basically, the way it works, if you don't know, is you pick actual real football players to be on your pretend team. You have your fantasy team, and then you go against another pretend fantasy football team, and uh, however your players do out on the field that day on whatever team they're on, they either give you points, or in my case, you don't get any points at all. I mean, it was really rough. The players that were projected to do good did horrible. My players got injured. They got traded. It was just a really bad year. It was so bad that I lost to everybody on staff here at Lakeside that played in my league. I I even lost to Brad Franklin twice. One time on the last play of the game by one point, it was really bad. I felt so bad that I actually sort of felt like this. Because you had a bad day, you take it one down, you sing a sad song just to turn it around. You said you don't know, you tell me don't lie, you work at a smile and you go for a ride. You had a bad just had like a really bad day, you know, or a bad season in life. And you know, sometimes we, we have these bad seasons and, and, and we just fail at something. And sometimes it's like fantasy football and it really doesn't matter a whole lot. But other times we can actually fail at stuff that matters quite a bit. Like maybe, maybe you failed at, at, at your job or your, or your education in the past. Or maybe you failed at um, some sort of program, an eating program, an exercise program that you set out to accomplish, and it just didn't go that well. Maybe you failed financially, or maybe you failed in some of the key relationships in life, in marriage, in parenting, in friendships. Ah, you know, failure just stinks, doesn't it? Let me ask you this morning, what do you do when you fail? What do you do when you fail? You know, one of the things that I love about the scriptures, one of the things that I I actually believe makes the story of the Bible ring true. In fact, if you're writing a holy book, this is a very remarkable way to go about it because on almost every page of the Bible, you find failure. You look at Moses, and he, and, and he failed. He, he was one of the greatest leaders of the Old Testament, and he got angry, and he failed. Wasn't a good dad either. You look at David, the greatest king of the Old Testament, had a bad marriage, wasn't a good dad either. And, and he failed. He committed murder. He committed adultery, among other things. He failed. 
You look at Peter, who launched the early church, who was the leader of the disciples, those closest to Jesus. And he failed multiple times. It's almost in every single story that you can find. But another thing that as you read through the story of the Bible, you'll find this theme, and I love it. It's the theme of redemption. The theme of redemption. To be redeemed means to be freed through a purchase. It's a ransom. Somebody has paid something to free you. And usually the way it goes in the scriptures, the way that the writers approach redemption, is that when somebody is redeemed, they live the rest of their life in honor of the one who redeemed them. It's what Peter was talking about in 1 Peter chapter 1 when he said these words. He said, For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. In other words, there's this cyclical pattern from generation to generation. And Peter's saying, you have been redeemed from that. You've been freed from that. How? By the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world. God had this foreknowledge. He had this plan in mind. He knew what we were going to do, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and your hope are in God. I love the hope that is in Christ. I need that hope. I need to know that no matter what has happened in my life and no matter how far I've fallen, no matter how many times I've fallen and failed, that I can begin again. And I believe that at the beginning of this new year that some of you right here this morning in this room need to know that, that no matter what your age, no matter what your situation, no matter what you've struggled with, no matter the pain of your circumstances, even if your circumstances are caused by others, that you can begin again. You really can. You can begin again in 2014. And so, you know, if you're sort of new to the Bible, there's this reputation about the Bible that is sort of out in popular culture. And part of the reputation is, is that it's rather a book about rules and regulations, and it's, it's sort of just kind of boring. And I will tell you that if you only read little snippets here and there, I read a blog this week by a, by a really good theologian that talked about why people don't read the Bible in their own personal time. And one of the reasons is, is because we read it in such short snippets. We'll just take a verse here or there. But I want to encourage you, if you will read larger sections of the Bible, if you'll read the stories of the Bible, you will find out that it's quite the adventure. There is drama. There is comedy. There's all sorts of colorful characters that you and I can relate to. And really, it's a story. It's an overarching story, but it's also a lot of subplots within that. And it's pushing forward. And the theme is redemption. Now, much of the Bible has to do with this idea, like I said, of failure, but specifically with this ancient people group. 
with this community of faith, these God followers known as the ancient Israelites. And man, did they fail. They failed as a community and they failed as individuals. And some of the Israelites that really hadn't failed all that much, they got caught up in the nation's failure and they had to pay the price. And so even though it wasn't their fault necessarily, they were with all these other people. And again, maybe that's you. Maybe you are in this situation right now, whatever you're in in life, and you're facing some difficult things. And it's really no fault of your own. Right in the middle, sort of, of their, of their failure, when things had kind of gotten really dark, and they were in this dry spot, this desert, this wilderness, and, and really hope was fleeting. It was, it was leaving them. God makes himself known to them. In fact, he, he is present in their pain. He's present in the dark time. And he says some words that I believe we need to hear at the beginning of a new year. And some of you need to embrace these words from God. He says to Isaiah, Forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. And some of you, I believe, need to say amen to that. Forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. He says, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the, in the wasteland. When life is at its worst, God enters into the pain of our failure and he makes a new way. He makes a new way. Israel began again, and you can begin again as well. And so let me ask you this morning, where in your life would you like to start a new chapter? Where in in your life would you like to leave the old behind and move forward into the new thing that God wants to do in your life? If you have your Bible this morning, I want to encourage you to open to John chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible, we have some that are on the seats. I want to encourage you to grab that and take it home with you and read the scriptures. John chapter 21 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It's a great story. It's a story of somebody that needed a new start. They needed to begin again. It's a story of redemption. And the writer John is writing, um, he's probably old at this point, and he's writing to this ancient people that are the early church. And they're spread out around the ancient Mediterranean. Paul had gone on his missionary journeys. Peter had gone out. Men and women had gone out. And they had planted churches. And there was a thriving church around their world. And John is writing to them to encourage them. And near the end of his book, he says, I'm writing these things to you so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the anointed one that he is the son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. I'm writing to you, ancient church, because I want you to know that you can begin again. And so let's look down at the very first verse where the story starts and follow along. It says, afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which were James and John, John the author of this book, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. 
So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, which was sort of a code way for John to refer to himself. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And so seven guys, seven followers of Jesus go fishing. They go fishing. I mean, these these were the disciples of Jesus that had walked with him for three years. In fact, it was probably somewhere on this same beach that they first met Jesus. There were amazing miracles, and a couple of them happened right around the beach. One of them was a miraculous catch of fish that you can read about in Luke chapter 5. Another one was probably the feeding of the 5,000. These are the disciples that saw Jesus do these amazing things. And they heard Jesus teach in the way that only he could teach. In fact, he probably taught right there around that seashore. And they walked with him for three years and all the way up until the Last Supper, communion. And then they went to the garden where Jesus was arrested, and they scattered. And Jesus went and was put on trial, falsely accused, was beaten, crucified, dead and buried, and he rose again. And in fact, he actually had appeared to them two other times. And some of the disciples, they didn't believe in Jesus. They thought, oh man, he's a ghost or something. And, And actually, one of them had to like touch Jesus to make sure that he was real. And now this is the third time that Jesus is appearing to them on this same beach that they were so familiar with. It's the same beach where Jesus said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they were fishing, but they weren't fishing for people yet. And it's almost like the writer is trying to point out that these characters in the story have now sort of come full circle. In other words, the old chapter, the last chapter, has been completed. It's, it's, it's done. But the new chapter hasn't really begun yet. 
And as a reader, whether you were an ancient reader or now, we know the story. In fact, you can take your, one of the church Bibles and you can just turn over one page. And what do you find? You find the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is where all these amazing things happen. These same disciples are the ones that are going to go out. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, they're going to launch this redemptive movement in the world. The church will be born. And these are the leaders of it. And they're fishing. How did they get from here to there? How did they get off of the beach and become world changers? They would turn Jerusalem upside down, and at least by church tradition, we know that all except one was martyred for their faith. How did they move forward into that kind of commitment, into that kind of life? Well, I believe we find out in the rest of the story. In fact, I believe we find out through a simple and I I think maybe just a quiet conversation that Jesus has with Peter. In verse 15, it says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said, Simon, Jesus said, Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Probably pointing at the other disciples, maybe making a gesture. Peter says, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Feed, provide for my followers. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Care, protect, watch over this flock. Do the job of a shepherd. Be a leader among my followers. The third time Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then Jesus continues, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, which was a way of referring to crucifixion. And someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Follow me. What a a beautiful bookend. What a beautiful tie-in. I love the way that John writes. Just like he said, follow me in the beginning. He says, follow me now. It's not too late to begin again. And when it really comes down to it, this story is really about Peter. I mean, it's a story that's for us. It was for the ancient audience. It was for the other disciples. But the author points out Peter. It was Peter that said, I'm going to go fishing. It was Peter that jumped over the boat, over the side of the boat, and swam to Jesus. Earlier in the gospel, he was so excited to see Jesus, he wanted to see the empty tomb. And he ran to the empty tomb. He was faster than John, and he outran him, got to the tomb. Peter wanted to get to Jesus. It was Peter that walked up on that shore and found Jesus sitting next to a fire made of coals. I mean, that's one of those little things that we we sort of just read over. and, 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 And maybe I'm making a bigger deal about it, but do you remember the last time that Jesus and Peter were hanging out around a fire made of coals? 
I think there's only one other instance in the Gospels. Do you remember where they were? They were actually in the courtyard of the high priest. Peter, Peter said, I am, I am willing to die for you, Jesus, back in Matthew 16. He said, you are the Christ, son of the living God. Man, I am going to die for you. And Jesus said, no, you're going to deny me three times. And so Peter's warming himself by the fire, and he denies Jesus three times. And in the book of Luke, it says that Jesus turned and looked at Peter. And then Peter went out and wept bitterly. I mean, I don't know what was going through Peter's mind, but, but it's sort of like, are you kidding me, Jesus? You, a fire made out of coals? Couldn't you use some wood or some sticks? Or Why do you have to do this coal thing? Why do you have to sh- sort of shove that in my face? But you see, God never overlooks our failure. Instead, he turns us towards it and he asks us to face it, to admit it, to confess it. And then he begins to heal us from it. And that's part of the redemptive process. And then they, they sit and they share a meal together, which would have signified friendship. And also of God's provision. It was Jesus who provided the fish in the net, and it was Jesus who provided the fish on the shore. And he can provide all that we need as well. And then they have this conversation. And Jesus asks Peter a question three times. Do you love me? And at, the, at one point, I, I could just imagine Peter going, look, Jesus, you know everything. Of course you know that I love you. But I think John is pointing out that this question isn't for Jesus. It's for Peter. Peter needed to know that Jesus hadn't given up on him. Peter needed to know, in spite of his failure, that he could begin again, that Jesus still believed in him, still wanted him, still had a purpose and a mission for his life. And I believe that some of you sitting here today need to know that same thing. God has not given up on you. He never does. We sang earlier that worship song, His love is relentless. I like how C.S. Lewis calls God the hound of heaven. I mean, he just keeps coming because of his massive love for people. And so this is where the journey begins again for Peter. We begin again when we respond to Jesus's invitation to come to him. And so what would that look like for you? What does it look like for you to respond to him? For Peter, it was a leap. It was a leap over the side of the boat. It was a walk up onto the shore to face his own inadequacy, and it was a quiet conversation with Jesus. What would it look like for you to begin again? Maybe for you, it's a leap into recovery, that there are some things in your life that have mastered you and have control of you, and once and for all, you need to go into recovery, and you need to be free from these things. We have a recovery ministry that meets on Wednesday nights here at Lakeside Church. Maybe for you, it's facing your grief. Your grief has just been something that has torn you down and you're stuck and you can't seem to get started. And you wake up every morning and you're wondering, how am I going to get through this day? I want to get started in a new chapter of my life, but I just can't seem to shake it. Maybe you need to get involved in Lakeside's grief share ministry. 
Maybe you've worked on your grief and you need to become a leader and help other people process and work through their grief in community in a healthy way. For some of you, maybe you need to take the leap into one of our many small groups that we talk about all the time, our small groups for moms, our small groups for men, our small groups for women, our small groups for children. There's something about life change that happens so powerfully because we read the scriptures in community. For some of you, maybe you take a leap out of the chair you're sitting in, and next week you're not sitting, but you're serving And you begin to look around at the needs that we have at Lakeside Church, whether it's the kids or the students or wherever. We cannot bring life change to this region unless we have people that are willing to leap out of the chair and serve. And for some of you, it's not just about volunteering. It's about answering the call of God like Peter did to leadership. Some of you are gifted leaders. God has given you amazing gifts and talents, and he's designed you in a particular way, and he's put you at Lakeside Church just for this time for a particular reason. Man, we need leaders. How will you begin again in 2014? In August of 2005, I went through a season of life where I needed to begin again. Some of the men, if you're a part of the men's ministry, may have heard me share some of my story. I was a part of a little church in Colorado, and I'd been in full-time ministry for 12 years already, and our little church ran out of money, and I found myself in a situation where my family was running out of money, we were running out of medical benefits, and I didn't know how I was going to support my family of five. My kids were really young at the time. In fact, the day after we ran out of benefits, my two-year-old jumped off the couch and broke his leg, and that was an adventure. And I was just so frustrated with God. I couldn't find a job as a pastor soon enough that would provide for our family and we were going to lose our house. And, and so I, I took a job as a, as a graveyard security guard. Graveyard meaning nighttime, not actually a, in the graveyard. <laughs> my kids found out that I was a security guard and they were pretty excited at first. They were really young. And my daughter said, where's your gun, daddy? And I said, yeah, I don't get a gun. It's not that kind of security guard. And my son said, dad, do you walk around like this? And I said, son, I'm a security guard, not a Nazi. You know, that's not, not what I'm doing. And I actually sat in this control room at a high-tech company, and I monitored alarms from around our country and another country and wrote stuff. It was actually very, very boring. But I actually had a lot of time to think and to pray and to read. In fact, the Bible that I had at that time, it's, it's up in my office, and um, you know, every once in a while I'll open it up and I'll look at some of the things that I used to write down in that Bible, because I used to write notes, I used to write comments, I used to write dates, hey, this is how I'm feeling right on this day. And, um, you know, because we're back in the new year, I'm reading in Genesis again. I just, I read through the Bible in a year, it's great. So now I'm back in Genesis. And so I'm opening that Bible, and I'm looking at the different things that I was writing down during that time. And it's been so helpful to me. And I can remember, I can almost feel the feelings that I felt during that time. And I hope you don't think, because I'm a pastor, that it was easy. It was horrible for me. I mean, there were times I was swearing at God. I was saying, God, you did a bait and switch on me. I said, God, you're confused. You meant to have somebody else laid off, not me. You're you're kind of messing up here. In fact, I didn't want to go to church at all. My wife 
you know, she, she's amazing. She would drag, she'd kind of, okay, hun, come on, let's go to church, you know, you don't have to be mad at everybody. And I was going through a difficult time, and it, and it wasn't overnight either. It was a three-year process. But during that year that I was a security guard, I read that Bible every night, and I wrote down notes. And recently, I was reflecting on some of those notes, and, and, and three things jumped out at me from the very beginning of the book of Genesis. One of the things I wrote down was that he is a God who creates. I needed to know that God could create a way for me in the desert that I was in. And God will do that for you as well. He is a God who continues to create. I wrote down that he is a God who speaks. I believe that God speaks, and I fully trust the Holy Spirit to be the Holy Spirit for God to do what only God can do in your life, to speak to your heart in deep ways that only he could do. I believe that he'll do that for you. And right around the end of chapter 3 in Genesis, when everything began to spiral out of control in the story, I wrote the phrase, he is still calling And I needed to know that. I needed to know that God was still calling me. If you failed, if you're struggling, if you're stuck, if you can't get into that new chapter in your life, I believe that God is still calling you. And maybe for you, just like it was for Peter, it starts with just this simple and quiet conversation with God. It starts by just responding to him. And just being honest with him. Pastor Brad talks a lot about the ABCs and kind of how to get started with God. And some of you need to get started maybe for the first time. I came to Jesus January 1st, 1988. I love the beginning of the year because it reminds me of my new faith in Jesus. And maybe for you, 2014 is that time that you launch and it's, you, you kind of cross over for the very first time. Or maybe for some of you, it's, it's kind of a recommitment. And you want to get started again. You've known Jesus for 20, 30 years, and, and you've kind of gotten stuck for a long time, and you want to get out of that. He talks about the ABCs of faith. A is that you just admit. You know, you admit that you failed, that you've, you've come up short, that you've sinned. I mean, it's basically this thing that we, we face our junk, right? It's like God knows it's there. You know it's there. Okay, let's just get it out in the open, and wow, it's there. And we admit it so that God can begin the work of healing and redemption in our life. That's A. And then B, that we would believe, that we would believe. The scriptures say that Jesus is the Son of God, that no one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That we would just believe. And C, that we would commit. We just commit our way to him. God knows that we're going to mess up again. He totally gets that. He sees it ahead of us. He goes, yep, they're going to fall down over and over and over again. And that's why it's so important to realize that he never gives up, that we can begin again and again and again. It's never too late. And so maybe you need to begin again. Maybe you need to commit for the very first time. And encourage you to have that conversation with Jesus. In fact, you can have it this morning. I'm going to pray, and if you want to talk to Jesus, I encourage you to do that. Would you pray with me? Father, thanks so much that your love is relentless, as we sung earlier this morning. 
We need to know that. We need to know that especially when we're in a, a difficult time, in difficult circumstances, when we're stuck and we can't seem to move forward. We need to know that you are our greatest fan, that you are cheering us on, and you are also saying, come to me. Are you weary? Are you heavy burdened? Are you tired? Are you just doing the same thing over and over with the same results? Are you unsatisfied with what the world has to offer? Would you come to me? My prayer, God, is is that you would speak to hearts this morning in in ways that we can understand you. Help us to respond to you and start that journey of redemption. And in 2014, be able to say that we have begun again with you. We thank you for your commitment to us, for your great love and mercy. And it's in your name that we pray all these things. Amen.